Welcome to Carry the Fire, a podcast where we explore the big questions of life through the lens of the good, the true, and the beautiful. I'm your host, Dustin Kensrue, and my hope is that through these conversations with people of diverse and divergent backgrounds and beliefs, we can glimpse the world anew through each other's unique perspectives. When I am not in adherence to reality, my life gets pretty messy and my inner life is pretty messy and the ways in which I am available to be of service to the people around me is pretty closed off. Reality is a pretty, and I recognize you can get into all kinds of conversations about what reality is or isn't, but there's a fair baseline we could sort of try to agree to. And when I'm like running from reality in ignorance of reality mm -hmm. or trying to live my life according to what I wish <laughs> rather than according to what is there, yeah. I get in a lot of trouble. Reality is at least a nice starting point, higher power for me, where I'm like, I've, I've seen in very clear examples just in my own personal life, but all kinds of stuff, if you don't look too far around you, when I'm like living too much in what I want something to be, instead of what, reacting to what is actually in front of me, uh, that gets to be pretty problematic for me pretty fast. Hello, everybody. Today on the pod, we are joined by the one and only Kevin Devine. Kevin is a very talented singer and songwriter, and one of my very favorite people I've met in the 20 or so years I've been playing music for a living. We talk about the relationship of true strength to vulnerability. Kevin shares a bit about his approach to songwriting, and I force Kevin to speculate a bit on why he's such a nice fellow. It was great to catch up and pick Kevin's brain for a bit, and I'm sure you'll all enjoy the conversation. Let's dive in. Hi. Hi, dude. It's good to see your face, hear your I know, your voice. man. It's been a while. How are you holding up in COVIDs? I, I think I'm okay. I mean, it's a lot of like, uh, obviously, it's total uncertainty and the kids stuff is a huge shift. Yeah. But just the, the, the nature of the time. But, um, and I don't know, I haven't spoken to you at any great length in quite a while. I am, so my... Uh, my ex-wife and I are not married anymore. That's why you say ex-wife. <laughs> uh, but we are, and I hate this phrase because I feel like it's, I feel like it's like a very wonderbred way of describing a relationship, but it's, it's amicable. We, uh -huh. we get along. We, we, it is more human than transactional. Yeah. And we, li we live two blocks away. So the quarantine okay. bubble is pretty like elliptical, distended. It's like, I go back and forth to their house every day, bring my daughter here effectively for the work day. So yeah. my ex can do her job from home. And then I bring her back and two nights a week, I get her at like 10 AM and have her to like two or 3 PM the next day. Those are the like kind of, <laughs> those are the shifts where, you know, it's an apartment. Yeah. So there's not a ton of like, there's not an out, out, the outdoors is like walking back and forth between the two apartments, you know, yeah. how, the how old is here, she now? She's four. Okay. And so even the parks here are like closed. Yeah. You're not you're not putting them on even if they're open. You're not putting her on like play equipment no, in a park in Brooklyn yeah. during the coronavirus. So I don't know. Uh, that stuff has all been okay. What we do is obviously weird. Yeah. I don't know what happens from this point forward. But all of the like day at a time training I feel like is coming in here, where I'm sort of like, what else are you gonna do right now besides do it a day at a time? Yeah. There's nothing available to me but that so it is a weird feel... a weird training ground or like proving ground of 
various things. Oh my God, yeah, rubber hit the road sort of a thing. And and I feel like just some days I'm a, it's messy in my head. Some days it's less so. Some hours it's more so. Some hours it's less so. I don't know. Just trying to sort of receive and react. I have no idea what there else there is to do. How are you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. We we thankfully got a little more space like right before this happened. So I've got three girls that are uh, like from the third, fourth, and seventh grade. So they're like people. Yeah, um, very much so. Uh, yeah, I'm like I'm doing a. <laughs> it's it's a bit of an experiment, but I'm uh, DMing a Dungeons and Dragons game <laughs> with the three of them and my brother. Oh, that uh, is awesome! So that's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, they're fun to hang with and whatever. And they have their own rooms now, which has like been a huge blessing with them having to work on school from home and all that. So absolutely. But they're not like I think the little kids in this situation. It's a harder, harder thing because they want to mm. run and get on everything. And I don't know. Yeah, I feel like three. I forgot you have three. <laughs> I have one close to another. I have a, a, a buddy who I've known for 23 years with three. And they're out in Jersey somewhere. And, and he's always been somebody who sort of was like a very, he was just naturally inclined towards a sort of mellowness. Uh-huh. Uh, so he always wears that kind of stuff well. When I imagine, <laughs> well, maybe what I'm thinking of is correct. Maybe I'm thinking of three of my four-year-old running around yeah, that'd that's be, a lot that would be very different that is very different no i think with what i'm noticing with her is hyper attached to mom and me which yeah. makes sense because like everything else like we're in a spot here where thankfully everybody's healthy but we're not seeing like my mom lives on staten island but carrie's mom's in massachusetts you know mm-hmm. and we're not seeing like her cousins her, my kids edie's my daughter we're not seeing edie's cousins we're not seeing yeah. You know, we have like these things, Zoom playdates yeah. with her classmates, which are like, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're totally a bust. And <laughs> I, what you're saying is right. Like she really, when I'm with her, what I've kind of, which, which has been a good proving ground, like you mentioned, actually, when I'm with her, it's increasingly become clear to me, which is a good development, I think, that I have to sort of like, I can't be in the phone or in work or anything like when she's here i kind of have to just be like it's almost like i could put the phone in my mailbox for six hours or something because she's literally just like following me around yeah and that's 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 the primary purpose right like the other stuff's gonna be there you and i are not like there's time sensitive stuff sometimes not much of it right now yeah and and even when it is time sensitive it's not time sensitive the way like a head of state making decision. It's like, or a doctor or something. It's like, if I'm like, yo, Ellis, can I call you back in two hours? It's almost always going to be okay. Yeah. You know? So I, but yeah, the attachment is the thing I'm really seeing the, the osmosis, the way it's like coming in from the sides. And I'm just trying to meet her where she is. Cause I can't have every fight. I can't have every fight. Cause she, er, the little thing she can control, she's really invested in trying to control, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. You know the deal. You've done it three times. I do. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's fun now because now they're they don't need the like 
constant attention, which is um, helpful for me working, my wife working, whatever. They're like they're doing their schoolwork, and then we're checking it with them later. But yeah, yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. It's uh, it's fun. Like their friendships, I think, are doing pretty well in the middle of this. Um, they either are having like a total blast together or hating each other for a few minutes and they take some time and then it's fine. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean also how, so you said third, it's third, fourth, seventh. Uh, yes. So it's especially the seventh grader. They like live, they have obviously physical, tangible relationships with their friends, but also so much of it is like this, some version of this anyway, it feels like with my nieces and nephews that are a little older, there's a lot of like, digital digital ephemeral relating that happens too yeah we're pretty careful with some of that stuff at least like like we don't as you should um, be she's not any like on any social media she can like text with her friends and Mm -hmm. um do whatever but um yeah i've seen enough kind of studies on that to try to be really careful with it it's a nightmare (laughs) yeah it's hard hard enough to be an adult and do it well so i i certainly think that's that's true yeah well thanks for taking the time man i i'm stoked to just see you but also to i know ask you questions on the meaning of everything oh god well <laughs> good <laughs> as luck I, with as that. i do i like starting off asking people what would cause you to feel a deep sense of wonder when you were a kid i was definitely a big aliens and dinosaurs kid when I was a kid something about and I was also like well the three things that just popped to my mind immediately were when I was in like when I was a kid kid it was dinosaurs it was that whole wing of um whatever language you want I didn't use this were these these words then but like the fact that those were things that were like around Mm -hmm. at some point i was like what what like it's you know you have some nascent budding uh, um interaction with science fiction by the time you were however old i was when i saw et or had older siblings that were like into star wars or whatever so i knew like there was some sort of cosmology that was that was uh you know um hyperbolic and writ large but dinosaurs like looked like they came from that but to trying to understand in some nascent way that they were like here. Yeah. I was like, what? And I watched that with my daughter where she's kind of like, there's a part of her where she's kind of like, are they like going to come out of somewhere? I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not happening. But, uh, and then I do also really remember whenever the first, like must've been ET for me, it must've been ET. I remember like being four years old, three or four years old. And that was happening. That was when that was out my brother and my sister being into that and thinking about like whatever little localized understanding you have of the world mm-hmm. and then thinking like that there could possibly be things that were outside of that that were coming in um and that was like really i, I then remember getting into like do you remember whitley streber communion do you know what i need about any of that i don't think so when I was a kid, there was I saw it on a current affair, and I, by now I'm like talking seven. Okay. It was this guy who went on like Maury Povich's A Current Affair. This was like pre-Maury's talk show, and 
he wrote a book called Communion, and the cover drawing is him drawing like one of the now what we know is like what people draw aliens okay, to look yeah. like, big eyes, oval head thing. Yeah. And he was like, uh, he was like, one of the first people who became famous for claiming to have been abducted, oh. right? And I was like seven or eight years old, and somehow took this book from the local library. And I was like <laughs> completely, <laughs> completely fixated. I like wrote a fake version of it, like drew my own drawings and wrote this story about how, how you almost were like I was doing investigative journalism or something. Okay. Um, oh, you wrote a version of his account. Yes. Oh. But I probably even used like a name like Brittany Grieber or something. <laughs> like I was like doing <laughs> something like that. And then I do remember... I, I was raised Catholic, and I remember uh, I lived not far from, like, the school where I went for first grade, and I received sacraments and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I do remember um, first grade, six years old or something, like, writing a, for Christmas Eve Mass, showing up an hour before and going up to Father Bob, who was the uh, – I can't remember the name of that functionary now. He ran the parish – Anyway, I went up and asked him if I could read this thing that I wrote at Christmas Eve mass about oh, yeah. how like consumerist, it was like effectively an anti-consumerist screed about like Jesus is the reason and Santa Claus has edged uh -huh. out our, whatever six year old kid could. And he was like, yeah, okay. And after his homily, I read this No thing. way. That's awesome. I swear. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was pretty intense. So I was definitely also very much aware so i don't know what the, those are not this these are three things that occupy very different spaces but i was these cosmic questions of mm -hmm. like and and these things that seemed very literally larger than life as i understood life whether that was a, the, the religious component this evolution this dinosaurs that these things that walked around or whitley streber and his aliens there was a lot moving around that i was like wow and the 86 mets i had a lot of wonder about that too but <laughs> That's good. I'm, all those things came very quickly to your head. I, usually, I'm it's trying like kind of to empty people. my brain out. So when you ask me stuff, it's just whatever comes out. You Dude. might get some. You'll get some garbage. And you'll get some <laughs> some wheat too. Hopefully, that's what I've been doing. Watching. Uh, I, I recently realized that there's episodes of Jeopardy on like Netflix and Hulu. Oh, which is great because you don't have to watch yeah. commercials. And so I've been just watching them in bed with my wife at night. But. I've realized if I just empty my, if I try to think really hard on something, I can't get the name up. But if I empty my brain, I'm coming up with stuff that I have no idea how it's in there. And it'll just like, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's it. Sweet. Dude, tonight, watch. Sometime in the next week, you're going to be like, Whitley Strieber. Yep. <laughs> it's going to be there. Uh, yeah, I, I was super into dinosaurs too. And I think, I, I think that was a, there was a similarity of like what there's a certain magic of this thing that feels fantastical, but you're learning like, no, it was here and it was mm -hmm. a long time ago. Like, I think that idea of, um, thinking through those time frames. I mean, even now it's really, really weird, but as a kid, you're like, what, how, how long? It's really rubbery for me to conceptualize now then it was like inconceivable it's like, yeah what? I've, I've been talking to people about this lately because i like was thinking about it or I, saw, I saw something and then i just started tripping out on it but like 
like alligator. I mean, I, 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 my brain goes in cycles, I think, but uh, so I'll think about this every once in a while. But like alligators, sharks too, been around like I don't know about sharks. Sharks might be longer, five hundred million years, but alligators like two hundred million years, mm-hmm. and they haven't they haven't changed. Just holding it down. That's that's so long, and they're just like we've. This is a good form. It's a good form. Yeah, we got it. We're done. <laughs> Highest form. We're good. Stay like this. Man, that's an inconceivable length of time. To me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's really weird. I feel like, here's the good thing. I have the worst memory, so I'll probably forget yeah. things that you've told me in the past. And I I'll have, just re I have them. a weirdly... Well, my my memory can either be like a steel trap or a black hole. So let's find out what's there. <laughs> you have a reputation for being an incredibly kind and thoughtful human. Uh, it's definitely been my experience with you. Uh, mm. Is that something that you kind of like work at? Is it natural for you? Is it both? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't. Uh, well, here's what I'll say to that. We are, obviously we're, we're, uh, it's a hard question to ask someone because no one thinks of themselves that way. Well, that's, uh, yeah, I guess I'm trying to get at like, I feel like what I feel like is, is I think about, for whatever there there's good and there's bad in the way that anybody is raised yep. some people it's more good some people it's more but what those words are very subjective too and a lot of it's contextual and a lot of that but i was definitely not raised by people where there was a lot of like uh i you know my my mom was a nurse for 37 years my dad was a cop for all of the mixed baggage that that comes with but mm. there was there was a, there was a, it was like Outer borough, New York, immigrant family, Irish Catholic people. And there was not a lot of like, um, there was a healthy amount most of the time, I would say, of like, don't get, don't get too ahead of yourself. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, sometimes probably an unhealthy amount. Sometimes there was probably a little bit of like uh, uh, reflexive kind of who do you think you are ism in, mm-hmm. in there but i think that that the, the the positive side of that is there was a lot of like uh don't be too impressed by flash and pomp and circumstance there's a lot of just like do your work yeah you know and then as i got into the stuff that we're into i happened to i think two things that happened for me that were kind of critically important well, three. One thing is that my initial exposure, the like falling in love with music happens gradually and in stations and there was Michael Jackson and there was Guns N' Roses and there was pop radio in New York. And But the fall in love, fall in love moment was Nirvana. And mm-hmm. then through Nirvana, you get, I went, you know, you start, to, you go back to punk, you get into the stuff that's happening then. You get into even things like REM that were kind of happening at the same time. But, and there was... To me, as a 12-year-old, 14-year-old kid, there was a difference between what was being presented there and what was being presented by, like, Axl Rose or whatever mm. else. And, and that seemed more attractive. And then when you get into the actual underground that's moving around, for all of its pretenses and horseshit, there is some idea of, like, 
These are people that it's almost like our, it's like our, our workers collective. It's like more of a working class group of people on some level. Yeah. It's not like uh, people who aren't super invested in like a kind of star rock star cosmology or something. Sometimes they were too ascetic about it. But um, and then from there, I think that when we actually got into like the moment where I was able to sort of many years later be like eking out a living at music. That was kind of exactly when I started getting sober mm-hmm. and also exactly around that time is when I met this guy that produced my one record for Capitol Records in the mid 2000s, which was Rob Schnaff. And what was coming from Rob and what was coming from sobriety was a lot of like, just do your work mm-hmm. day at a time, measure your expectations. Uh, there's freedom in whatever distance I can get on a daily basis and minute by minute basis, even fractional space between myself and my ego, (laughs) whatever I can do to try to be of some kind of service to somebody is going to like separate me from obsessing completely about myself. Mm. And then the actual arc of my career, it never did that. Like the Capitol record came out and then Capitol got fed to Virgin and that record just sort of everything just kind of did that. And so I got lucky because it never did that, yeah, but never it dropped also till, yeah. just kind of did this forever. Yeah. So I think that you combine all of those things and that ant lands here. I am both acutely aware of the fact that I actually live what is a pretty privileged existence if you put all of existences on a table. Mm-hmm. But I'm also aware of the fact that I live my day-to-day life and the material realities of that life or the like um, social capital realities of that life. It's not like I'm like Britney Spears or some fucking person like that. I'm like fairly anonymous except in a niche cul-de-sac of a cul-de-sac of a subgenre of, you know what I mean? You Mm -hmm. know exactly what I mean. So what is there to not be nice to people about? is part of the thing to me when with respect to what we do, but more broadly than that, it's also like, it's hard to be a person. And if I can be even in a sort of transactional interactive one conversation at a time, part of someone's day, that's a little less hard. That seems like a fairly, that seems like a lofty enough goal to me because life can be pretty relentless. It is, it can be for me yeah. anyway. So whether or not I'm successful at that would depend on the person you're talking to there. It's nice that I have a reputation like that. I know I could name for you a bunch of people who don't think that about me. So it's cool <laughs> that, that there are people that do, but, but yeah, that, if that makes any sense, that's a long answer to your question, but there you go. No, it's good. I've never thought about it in terms of kind of class terms, but that makes a lot of sense for the, like in the underground, I think for like thrice, we definitely came up in that before it started merging with like the mainstream in an interesting (laughs) way. Like the, the world's kind of meshed. And so we always went to shows being like having this idea of like, these people are on stage that there are peers, right? Like, there's no yes. different and there's something really cool about that and then as we started playing then like kind of the autograph thing like became a thing at shows and it was super foreign to us because that's not how we had grown up going to shows like i wouldn't have thought to ask you know whoever for for an autograph i'd shake their hand <laughs> i'd tell them good yeah, show yeah, yeah um and this is not any kind of judgment on people who want that but it 
it was an interesting shift that started happening. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm glad that I came up in something before that started happening because there's something really beautiful about that kind of uh, community where people can can perform and you can be a fan of it, but also and a fan of them, but also not really hold them on a pedestal. Um, well, there's like a literal at those first iterations of those hard, like punk rock or hardcore or whatever shows level ground it literally was not a stage. <laughs> yeah. You were, you were like at eye level. There's something about yeah. that as a mm-hmm. physical metaphor that I've always found. Not that there's anything wrong with a stage or a PA or any of that stuff <laughs> or, 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 or a tour bus or anything. Yeah. But there was something very instructive and informative to me about those ideas that were like born from, I don't know, the discord thing or people that were with the, like book your own show, put on your own, uh, have your own record label, do your own zine at the show. Like the guy, I, I remember so vividly being at shows where like the person who put on the show was also sometimes the guy who was like holding a mic stand in place because it was falling <laughs> apart, like, or cooking dinner for the yeah. band. Now, I, I'm also grateful to have lived a life where I was afforded an opportunity to like have a career that evolved from some of those places yeah. in some ways. But I also think that some of the lessons you learn in those places, I think are really sustaining and sanity protecting when it starts to get weird in some of the ways you're describing later. And I also think that I just realized that one sub clause to the question, the answer to the question, there is, if there is any natural inclination in me towards whatever personality I have, there is also a lot of daily maintenance that goes towards not outwardly bleeding my feelings all over anybody <laughs> who's around me. So it's not like, to, I don't know, some people seem to be, for me it is not like, it's both nurture and nature, I guess, if that makes sense. Like you're, you're, and, you're and drawn effort. to, yeah. yeah, requires work too, but yeah. I can't remember like the exact circumstances or whatever, but I remember either before I met you or right after I'd met you, someone had been like, Oh yeah, Kevin's an atheist. And, uh, I feel like it's rare to actually have someone identify as an atheist, fairly rare. Uh, usually people are just like, I don't want to talk about it or whatever. But then there's, there's some people who are taking that stand and I've always been, you know, interested in the big questions and Mm -hmm. talking, all sorts of theology and um, whatnot. So I remember approaching you and probably <laughs> being super like weirdly forward. Hey, do you want to talk about if there's a God or not? Um, do, you, do you remember I have, that conversation? I have my memory. It's a really, I have a really fond memory of going to uh, a, like a little diner near Kane's ballroom with you in Tulsa, Oklahoma and yes. having a big fat piece of like carrot cake. And <laughs> I forgot about the carrot cake, but I also have the, the, a very fun memory of that. that and time. sitting together and talking. And that would, that was nine, that was 10 years ago this summer. Yeah. So I was on beggars and brothers blood and that was 10 years ago. So that, that was, was that the tour that my dad got sick and I had to yes. cancel? Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. Because yeah. that was either right when you and I were talking. What I was remembering right before I called you was when you and I were talking. I can't remember what side of 
this, what side of that this conversation was on, like where you were at in that process, but I know it was happening. Mm. And uh, I do remember that very well. I remember, and I, I don't remember, I, I, I just kind of remember we were on tour together and when you're on tour together and, and especially when it's like that part of the country, it starts to stretch out. <laughs> At least for me, coming from the Northeast, I always felt like once we got west of like Chicago, it was like, all right, here we go. Everything's just like, boom all the drives and stuff. Yeah. But I remember that uh, even if you want to be hanging with people, sometimes you don't, it's, it's a little harder to get as much. I think on that tour we might've been selling, I might've been selling our merch too. Yeah. So I was kind of like not around a lot. And so I remember one day you coming up and being like, let's go, you know, and we like went and hung out and talked <laughs> about God and everything else for like a, a while over carrot cake in Oklahoma. It was like a hundred degrees outside. That's what I remember about that. Yeah, that was fun. I feel like I talked to you backstage at some show one time in, it might have been in New York or something. And that was the first oh, time with, we kind with, of talked uh, about it. With um, Matt and Chris and them. Wasn't it a Where's the Band thing? It might have been, yeah. At the at the Highline Ballroom. Yes. I think, yeah. That seems yeah. right. <laughs> I, I, I have not read anything about this, but I feel like... Uh, I was reading the lyrics to Between the Concrete and the Clouds, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it seems like maybe you have softened off saying like you would be an atheist, but you would be more agnostic. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I, I'm, what I'm wondering is if the, whoever said that to you was either the, uh, Andy, Jesse, or Matt is who I'm thinking would have maybe said something like that if I came up. And I think that there was a time where, and each of them would say that at that time from three different angles for sure. Uh-huh. But I feel like, um, I don't think I've internally identified as a hardcore atheist for quite some time, yeah. but I think, I think that there was a time in my early, uh, probably like late teens through mid twenties, that I would say with a lot of gusto and uh, <laughs> a lot of certainty that was unearned, but that I could very seriously move around in. And often at three o'clock in the morning over a dinner plate with lines of cocaine on it, very intelligently and philosophically talking to you about how there could, you know, I think that also I was a person who conflated a lot of like, it just took me a while and it's a daily process still to wrestle with the idea that I don't, I don't, or, or to sort of soften, actually, maybe stop wrestling with the idea that I don't, that I have to have these kind of like, how could I have, to me, to me, how could I have neatly conforming ideas about something like what God is or is not? Mm-hmm. Uh, I... I grew up in a religious tradition and I practiced that religious tradition and then somewhere in my, you know, and I wonder about the seriousness uh, with which I was uh, applied or connected to that because I was 16 years old when I remember coming home from, from Catholic high school one day and being like, I don't think I believe that. Yeah. And my father, they were like, you know, Irish Catholic outer borough, like I said, I don't know how deep their faith was or wasn't either, but it was more like 
well, while you live here, you're going to go to church on Sunday, yeah. you know? And it was kind of like, all right, I can do that. That's cool. <laughs> but I don't know if I actually, you know, believe it. And prior to that, I was like, you know, I was, I'm confirmed in the Catholic church. Yeah. I like as a young adult person made a conscious decision to reaffirm my faith. Now, how conscious and, and singular or and how conscious and individuated that was as a matter of some debate because you're 14 and everyone else in your class community or whatever is doing it. So you're like, what was I going to say to my parents as, as a ninth grader? Like, no, yeah. it was going to be like, it was more like keeping, I, I don't mean to not this is not a reflection on my parents just how communities work oh exactly it yeah was, i mean this is for adults like, adults too <laughs> yes and it was more like a keeping up with the joneses or something kind of a thing or just that's what you do that's you're not, what you do don't, you don't rock the boat yeah yeah and so um i have not returned to the the faith of my my upbringing but i am a person who like you know i go into the church that I'm talking about there's I literally, so I've lived in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn on and off throughout my life in different stations. I live in that neighborhood again now. Mm -hmm. And my daughter's daycare for a while was up the block from this church. So I would drop her at daycare and then I would go in. I'm talking like in the last two years, I'm not yeah. talking like 25 years. I would like go in. I still sometimes would go in and, and sit in the eight thirty service or like, go in prior to the 830 service and meditate and pray and meditate every morning. Mm -hmm. um, but I, so I, I don't know, I, you know, for me, I, this is like, obviously I'm trying to like get my arms around a lot of stuff. that's a little ungainly for me, but I, I think that my atheism might've also been a byproduct of a very particular moment in my own internal wrestling match with some other things and also a kind of intellectualized reaction to certain what i've perceived and still perceive to be toxic uh socio-political associations mm -hmm. that it started to happen culturally around um a reclamation in what i thought was a negative radical way of christ and christ's teachings yeah. that, that that didn't seem to float or feel uh, acceptable to me. So I think that, and since I never really had any kind of, I was not drawn toward um, Judaism or Buddhism or, 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 or any other particular, and not in any other way other than maybe somewhat scholastically or yeah. now in a way where it's kind of open aperture enough that's like you're just trying to learn from everybody. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was not going to, I wasn't looking to convert. So yeah. my main wrestling match was with iterations of Christianity. And I think at that time, which was around 9-11 and Bush the first and a lot of stuff, I was a little bit like, oh, fuck this. This does not seem okay. And that, that has seemed less okay in the last 20 years and in, in a lot of ways. But yeah. my reactions to it have changed a lot, mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense. Uh, I think I know less the older I get, but I experience more. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I would certainly not feel confident enough to get up in an atheist's meeting of, of any sort and be like, yeah, uh, any more so than I would at like, I don't know, a big tent revival yeah. somewhere. So, so I, I don't, I don't, but I, I think uh, I pray, I meditate, I read a lot. I, I, uh, I, I try to move around in, in, in things, but I, I, yeah, I don't know that I, I subscribe to any particular iteration of mm -hmm. 
what God is or is not, or if God is or is not, or I just, I know I'm not it. That's been reiterated <laughs> to me over and over again. So, and I don't think that any social figure is either. I feel like some forms of the way atheism can kind of take shape for someone is a, it's like a weird mirror of certain things that are happening in Western thought and in those traditions themselves that then get like someone's like no this is not it but then you take the framework and you just kind of flip it to the other side mm -hmm. and it's still about certainty it's still about mm -hmm. which is I, I think you can look historically and certainty was not really what faith was about <laughs> you know like and no. it yeah. like yeah. or I mean by definition is not what it's about but um it became, I think, as a, I think, essentially, as science became a force in the world, and there's this back and forth with certain scientific views, and then certain views that the church or various people took on against those views, and it created this weird war uh, between them, and then it shifted to where you ended up to have faith was to try to have counterfacts to something else it was like right and so it becomes very much about what are the facts about this thing or not and uh yeah i don't know um i'm in a pretty pretty similar s spot to where you're you're at these days um as far as just not knowing and being being happy not knowing it's a lot of uh you know for, for for me, I feel like the burden of knowing, being a guy who knows <laughs> lots of things, I feel like I, I, I understand. And I, well, first of all, I think that there's a few things that while you were just saying what you were saying, it was kind of like setting off, you know, I will always be culturally a Catholic person from Brooklyn, mm -hmm. New York. Yeah. Like I'm drawn toward when there was a spate of those kinds of, I mean, I don't, I haven't seen them in a long time, but whenever, like, okay, I was on a plane not too long ago. Well, I don't know when it was sometime in the last six months. I haven't been on a plane since this all started, obviously, yeah. but I, I, whenever it was, and it was a longer flight and I watched silence that Martin Scorsese. Movie oh, I haven't about the, seen that yet. Yeah. I hadn't seen it. And I totally forgot it existed. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, Oh, I'm going to, I was in the mood to do that instead of yeah, watch yeah. like the office for four hours or something. Mm -hmm. So I, I watched it and I'm just drawn. I am drawn. I'm still drawn to those, uh, the commitment and, 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 you know, I mean much less seriously, but in, whether it was in like literature or movies that dealt with what things like, you know, whether it was like the brothers McMullen or Ed Byrne, like things that were like these like Boston, Brooklyn parochial, about those neighborhoods, those people and the Catholic thing being so, um, that's in there, yeah. whether the, the actual adherence to the tradition or the, or the deep rooted belief in the specific, uh, uh, narrative or, or any of that, or the, or the history, um, those things. And some of the things that did inspire what you were describing is that kind of like yeah, it's not a continuum where it's like atheism is here and faith is here. I believe you're right. It's like this bending thing where they're actually almost more like here. Because yeah, yeah. one is like, I absolutely know this. And the other is like, yeah. well, I absolutely believe this. 
And it's yeah. actually, to me, it's more like you're, you're kind of evangelical in either direction. Because also, if you're trying to, like, recruit mm-hmm. people, there's something to that that I'm a little like. I, I, I am not in the business of recruiting anybody to anything. I'm in the business of trying to figure it out for myself as a halt or uh, whatever, imperfectly, by definition, imperfectly as, 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 as I can and as I do. So, but like, I will always be somebody who's like a little more interested in the story about like some, like, you know, as Catholic schools around here close and stuff because it's a dwindling community. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little part of me that's like, I haven't been, I haven't been like a regular attendant at Catholic mass since 1996. But as these places close, there's a part of me that's like, oh, that's too bad. You know, it's like, you know? it's formational for you, you know? It's, form- it's foundational, it's formational. And so I also think that part of what was happening with the atheism was a response to these cult- this cultural moment, but was also a response to the grief process of like falling out of, like I was going through a thing with like, um, I was having my own cleaving moment with the faith of my upbringing whatever mm-hmm. to whatever extent however deeply i engaged with it when i was like i'm whatever you do at 16 you do at 16 i was probably 21 when i was really like because at that point you're starting to like go i was like you know my i'm like my niece's godfather you know and i was like going to be interviewed by the priest to be my niece's godfather mm-hmm. and that's something i took seriously but it was also something where i was like i'm gonna have to be straight with this guy and tell him like yeah I'm not a practicing Catholic, so if you want to tell the parents they have to pick somebody else, I totally understand. But I do, if anything ever happens to them, you know, yeah. I, got, I got her. But I think I was going through my own process of grieving that. And I think that somewhere in my mid-20s, someone got in my ear about, like, you know, there's God. And then there's, like, what people do with God. Mm-hmm. And there's God. And there's... Just kind of a lot of like, I, I remember telling a social worker therapist for 45 minutes who made the, who had the audacity to suggest, she's like, well, what is your relationship with God or spirituality? And I rattled off all of the Richard Dawkins and, 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 and Sam Harris and whatever mm. other shit I had internalized and far left radical, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and she was like very patient and at the end was like, well, that's very intelligent sounding, but you know, you just talked to me about people for 45 minutes. Maybe next time, if you want, we can talk about God. <laughs> and I was so furious uh. at that person, but there was a crack, a crack, a crack in that you know what i mean yeah. where she was just enough where a few years later it was like and i there was a lot of evolution for me around like certain uh community group self and peer group help stuff that, that where there were people talking about iterations of spirituality and i was like taught to pray again as a, by an atheist <laughs> who was like well nothing else you're doing works so why don't you try this <laughs> Pray to your shower head. It's literally above you. Say, just say out loud. Find a few things you could say thank you for every morning to your shower, and let's start there. And there was something very powerful about that to me. Whether I knew what it was, where it was going, or there was an active prostration to say, like, I could probably find a few things every day to say thank you for and ask for some help around. Mm-hmm. I don't know to whom, or I don't. Ex- I don't know. I don't know if I expect an interventionist to scoop them from me, but I can certainly be like litanizing that which I am grateful for and that which I need help with. Yeah, like there's something 
I mean, regardless of what you actually think is happening, there is something without a doubt within humans that is yearning to do some of those things, yearning to be thankful to something outside to feel, you know, like there is a religious impulse, um, yeah. just that goes deep in us for some reason, but on the word gets tricky because religions have, we, we're a society and a, uh, and a history and a culture of people. And for a very long time and still today, I'm not saying anything anybody doesn't know or hasn't said more intelligently than I could say it, but a lot of blood has been spilled in the name of God and yeah. a lot of blood has been spilled in the name of particular iterations of God. And a lot of nation states have existed where someone had bastardized God to be like the hammer, the bludgeon to marginalize and mm -hmm. keep. That never felt particularly right to me, but I also don't know how much of that I can really blame on God. Unless I believe that God in whatever iteration is supposed to come down and stop people from doing it. But I don't, that all feels to me like we're talking then at like a level that is not how I act. Whatever I do or don't, I don't know anything, but whatever I do or don't think, that's not how I think it works. Yeah. Is that so? So, so then I get why people are like radical. Uh, in in opposition to that though yeah. i do get that i do Absolutely. get why a person would be like look at i could go i don't want to go off the rails but i do understand why people could look at what you know why someone would perceive for example uh in our country a certain iteration of Christianity is connected to uh, a certain kind of financial system or a certain kind of militarism or a certain kind of this that and the other thing and say yeah. like well, if they believe that and they've claimed that, then, you know, fuck that. And it's mm. like, well, there can be a lot more room in the middle <laughs> for your own. But uh, I also understand why there's some people who are like, well, why even get in bed with all of that? Why not just like, and to me, it's because I couldn't put the question out of my head because it didn't feel answered. Mm. It didn't feel like that was in a thorough, neat felt neat but it didn't feel real felt just yeah. as that's a good you know, way anyway it. it's an option but it's cutting something off right like to get to get rid of the question you're cutting you're losing something else with it by going that route i think yeah i think you're and i think you're doing it in spite of yourself and i don't know what i don't i don't know what i think about god being be, what God is or is not, I feel like it's almost a little presumptuous of me to, to, to act like I could. But I do know for me, again, for me, mm -hmm. when I am not in adherence to reality, my life gets pretty messy and my inner life is pretty messy and the ways in which I am available to be of service to the people around me is pretty closed off and i recognize you can get into all kinds of conversations about what reality is or isn't but there's a fair baseline we could sort of try to agree to and when i'm like running from reality in ignorance of reality mm -hmm. or trying to live my life according to what i wish <laughs> rather than according to what is there yeah i get in a lot of trouble reality is at least a nice starting point higher power for me where i'm like I've, I've seen in very clear examples just in my own personal life but all kinds of stuff if you don't look too far around you when i'm like living too much in 
what I want something to be instead of what, reacting to what is actually in front of me, that gets to be pretty problematic for me pretty fast. So it's hard. That's like the starting point for me. It's like, uh, what's real and how do I get aligned with that? I feel like you're a David Bazan fan, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember if it's Pedro or whatever. It's the same thing. But uh, he has a song. I think it's called Bearing Witness. But it's oh, talk, yeah. talking about like kind of contrasting what he came from and then now saying like what Bearing Witness really is, is calling out the thing that is there actually in front of you that the reality mm -hmm. right and not not hiding from that in something that you wish was there or something that you have been told is there even though right in front of you something else is presenting itself to be witnessed to be experienced um or at least that's how i take it and i don't think that that has to be antithetical to faith nor no, do i yeah. think that has to be antithetical to i guess that's where i don't know that's where where i don't i i guess if i was like to be listening to an intellectual atheist making an argument about atheism i'm sure there are parts of me in the council just as there are parts of me that are still attached to yeah. catholic there are parts of me that listen to that and, and are going like yeah i think that's more or less right about certain things but i'm also going like oh my god stop talking it's exhausting <laughs> and and there are also parts of me that so I don't know, like if that makes you an atheist leaning agnostic or a Catholic indebted, I don't know what that makes it, but, but it makes it, to me, it's like a, you're seeking something, you're thinking, you're trying to engage, you have the stuff that you move through at, at, at times, but to me, those passages you move through to get to where you are, to me, reality adherence does not mean uh, you can't have like you can't have faith. Yeah. You can't be moving toward. I just, th I actually think it's the starting point. Like how, if it's like, you know, if I can, if I can on a baseline level be as close to reality as possible, then I do get to like blossom into other things. It's for me in my life experience, it's when I'm like going like, I don't want to look at that. Yeah. I don't really get very far anywhere. Or when I do, it's like, I certainly know that was, I don't know, with that, we don't have to go too deeply into this, but in my, in my marriage, I was, there was a lot that I would have really done this, the other, my, the other person and myself, a great benefit to have had a conversation that was this way, but I spent a lot of time afraid of the outcomes of that afraid of what even having the thoughts and questions meant about myself, <laughs> uh, deciding it was my fault and my problem and not to be communicated with this other person. And so I, instead of doing this, like going towards this someone. for a very, 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 very long time. And then when I got back here, I still had to have the same conversation I would have had to have for however long, but I had now done all of this obfuscating damage on the way there. And I'm comfortable saying that out loud because I've, that's the truth. I'm not, I mean, it's uncomfortable because I wish it was not the case, but it's what, what happened. And mm -hmm. so I, the best thing I can do in my life now is not hide from stuff like that. I don't know where God is or isn't in that, but it seems to me like when I'm hiding from it, I'm nowhere near that because, uh, 
my life experience has indicated that to me. Not just in that instance, but that's the biggest ticket one that I yeah. kind of couldn't ignore anymore. It was like skywriting in my living room. But that's I don't, know, I don't get very far when I'm not adherence to reality, if that makes sense. No, that's helpful. So as an artist, you, so you're a lyricist and you are writing songs and I feel like you're engaged quite a bit with, I don't know what I would call like important issues. Like you're, you're, you're going deep. You're asking hard questions of yourself and of the listener. Um, is that just naturally where you go? Do you feel like you have some kind of duty or responsibility to do that as a, as an artist? Like, are, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm going no, for yeah, a, a broad. No, that's makes sense. Um, I think I am to a fault sometimes and to a benefit other times. I, uh, stubbornly obsessed with certain uh things certain mm -hmm. ideas certain um the way people function the way so sometimes that iterates itself in like the way people function and then sometimes it iterates itself in like the way systems of people function um and i think that you know i've never been uh, this is not bullshit i i've never been or I, I don't think it is. I've never been particularly good at being like, now I'm going, and I've talked about this with other songwriters and I'm envious of a song. I believe them. I've had conversations with other songwriters that are like, somebody who I respect a great deal once said to me like, oh, I know exactly what, like what people are going to like and how to season to taste and when, uh, and, and how to write a certain kind of, I feel so, so, so sure that I don't know what the hell is going to happen until it shows up ever. That does not mean once it shows up, I don't know how to move around in it or yeah. I don't know how to like, but I, I've never been able to be like, now I'm going to write a pretty killer rock song or now I'm going to write a world class <laughs> political song. Like there are whole groups. I'm in the middle of writing. I've written a record that I'm in the middle of making and we're living in the time we're living in, and I don't think there's an overt social justice song on it. You know, mm -hmm. that happens sometimes. It's not, it's not candy pop. It's, it's, it's chewy in other ways. Yeah. Uh, subject matter wise, but I don't. I, someone asked some, you know, an audience member was like, you know, I really love those songs. How, how's the new record shaping up? And I was like, I don't think there's any of those on this new yeah. record, but they're all, to me, they're always all kind of about that stuff because they're about people. Mm -hmm. And, but I definitely know I've not, I'm not especially good at being like, now I'm going to write a really good love song. Now I'm going to write a really good uh, probity, probing around in religious uh, dynamics song. I just sort of write the things 
that move around. And 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 once they show up, it doesn't mean I don't know how to like tease. Yeah, there's a there's a difference between the craft of what it ends up being and like where it's coming from in the first place. That's that's a much neater and succinct way of saying what I was just fumbling around in. For me, I feel like I've never been the kind of person who's like, I'm now going to write a ten song cycle about this historical moment. I've written songs like that, or a, a prompt to write a song in, in a character's voice or, or from a moment of history, but I've never written like Tommy, you know? I've never yeah. been like, I'm gonna write like a, a, a and that's, I'm I'm actually envious of, 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 envious is the wrong word, I'm, ad, I'm admiring of people who are able to write conceptually that way in a sustained and consistent way. I feel like I, I I I can do that song by song, but it's never been something I've really been able to do for like a record. But the stuff I write about, the stuff I am inclined to write about, whether it is like people, the fallibility of people, uh, and sometimes how that moves around on a social level and sometimes how that moves around on an internal level, that's just the stuff I, I think I'm just obsessed with that stuff. I'll probably, if I'm writing songs until... I can't anymore. I would imagine the the vast majority of it will be like, oh, that was like a person trying to write about what it felt like to be a person <laughs> for a hundred years or something. So I don't know. But. Yeah, I feel like there's a quality to your writing that it feels like it's always kind of trying to pull the curtain back a little bit on it's good. like what, what we're doing, what other people, like what society is, you know, accepting of and not accept. like, it's kind of just like nudging, like it's trying to pull it back. I mean, everything is straining in you know, <laughs> society to, to be like, Nope, it's not changing. And in ourselves to be like, Nope, we're not changing. And I feel like a lot of what you're doing is, is pulling that back a bit. Does that resonate? I, well, I, I appreciate that. And I feel like, you asked about the responsibility thing. What I feel like, what I feel like, I have a responsibility, <sighs> for better and for worse. What I feel like I have in it, and again, to scale and with a firm understanding of the scope with of which it's not like again, I'm, it's <laughs> it's not like you're writing songs that like 10 million people are listening to, but to to, to the people who do, and will, I I feel like the responsibility I feel to myself, which you know is. These are slightly different things, I guess. I always want to try to get something a little better. Uh, and that could be from a technical perspective. Like I was not blessed out the gate with like the most, I listened to some of the earlier records and I'm like, oh my God, some of the vocal performances, some of the, that's stuff that I feel like I needed a lot of practice to get to a place where now I'm like, oh, I can sing all right. Or, you know, <laughs> I'm happy to do some of the early ones. I'm like, oh, I want to like put that, take that guy out back and like put him out of his misery. But that's, that was the time and that's where, where yeah. I was. And, but, um, there's little things from a technical perspective or from a from a music side, arrangement side, development perspective that every time I'm like, I want to get this a little better. I want to hone in on this a little more. And that could be like the Elliot Smith obsessive, right? Like that's like the guy who's tinkering all the time with like, what if I voice the chord this way instead of this way and mm -hmm. that, that thing. The content, I don't, I guess I just don't want to. I, and I'm not saying anything about anybody else when I say this. I'm saying it about myself. I don't want to be 
I never want to feel like I took the easy way out or was like cheap with myself about about the thing I was trying to talk about. You know, whether I, whether the song is whether someone likes it or not, whether it's it's well executed, whether I got there or not, I kind of feel like I just the thing you're talking about about pulling it back. It's like um, to me, that's just the 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 act of. I don't think anybody's ever like discovered themselves you know i think you're discovering yourself forever <laughs> and i think that i don't think you i also don't think i've unearthed any like great ubiquitous truths about the human condition i think it's more like we're just trying to uh, to me it's like you're just trying to really figure it out a day at a time an interaction at a time a relationship at a time a movement at a time and at least i am and so i feel like that's what what governs the the impulse in the, in the songwriting is to try to do that in a way that is also not like really is not just like you're reading someone's journal but that there's some <laughs> amount of like art to it some amount of like craft to it but but i also think and this might sound so fucking cheesy but it's just real it's true and real to me you know there's this thing about like uh you know the pull yourself up like patriotism or pull yourself up by the bootstraps or whatever. And that's, and it's, that tends to be attached to a certain like conservative or, or right on the political spectrum way of thinking. And I understand why, but I always thought there was like a great missed opportunity on like the, the, the left around some of that, because like if the idea of America is a place where people have, it's the only Republic in history where it's like, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? And this notion, whether it has been total bullshit from the word go is a complete viable argument, right? Mm -hmm. But this notion that it's like more egalitarian access, there are not kings, there is this like system of checks and balances, there is theoretically speaking, the you know, the Horatio Alger story, where people can start at the bottom and blah, 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 blah. Well, then what would be more patriotic than actually trying to align the reality of this place to its own stated but often not met value system? To yeah. me, that's like the most patriotic thing you could do is try to be like, yo, America is like a pretty sick concept. We just actually almost never really done it right. So why yeah. don't we try to actually really do it right? Why I say that about the songs is I kind of feel like that that's like a self-governing thing too there's days where i'm like closer to the kind of person i want to be and there's mm. days where i'm like did not really get there today so <laughs> then some of that comes through in the song some of it comes through on a structural level you look at somebody and this is the part that i was going to say could be really cheesy but to me it's like someone like malcolm x talk about put yourself up by the bootstraps this was a pimp a hustler a drug addict a criminal goes to jail becomes a man of god sober comes out of jail, becomes a leader of people, starts to see the corrosive aspects of the institutionalization he, he absorbed both as a black man in prison, but also as a member of a kind of fucked up religious ideology, mm. sheds those things and in public says, I was wrong about that. Mm. I was wrong about that. I was wrong about that. And then as he gets near to democratic socialism, that's when they kill him. Mm. <laughs> but, 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 but. To me, I look at someone like that, I'm like, what more American story could you want than somebody who had nothing and not only like built himself up to be this charismatic leader of people, but somebody who always owned his shit, always was able to say in public, like, no, that was wrong. 
no, that was wrong. Yeah. I'm going to try something different this time. That's, to me, what governs the instincts to like try to look at things like that is you look at people like that and you're like, I'm not some great historical figure or some, I have had a lot and my life is pretty soft compared to someone like that. But if they can move around like that and if that's the notion of where we live, that's, the, that's what's in the, the myth. Well, what, what, how, do, how can I in my own personal way and in my superstructural way try to like inch my way towards the actualization of that myth like a fraction at a time? Yeah, I, it's interesting because there's kind of two. If that makes any sense no, at all. No, it, it anyway, does. It's great. Um, there's almost two directions that can be taken there. Like one is what you're talking about, seeing the ideal, striving towards it, admitting when you don't reach it, right? But there's a power. You never will. But kind there's of, but there's also, a, but yeah. there's a power in that there's something magnetic in that something beautiful and inspiring and draws people towards it. And, um, not to mention it's better for you to be able to, to admit the things that you're, you're doing wrong, but it helps other people to do it too. And like, I mean, admitting you're wrong is like the only way anything ever gets better. I mean, ever that's, and, and my, that's like the, yeah. that's the basic basis of science is like, we are like, you experiment and you're like, it was wrong. We did, we didn't get it. We didn't get it. And then you think you get it. And later on you were kind of there, but you weren't really there. And now your thing's discarded. We got a better thing, but it's always moving because it's willing to admit that it gets things wrong, you know? And yes. then the other way is having the ideal, but claiming that you have always met it. Uh, right. I'm thinking of, you know, someone in charge of our country right now. Right. Um, and you, you can't ever admit that anything you did was wrong. And it's, it can come across as powerful, but it's so shallow and brittle. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, I think that we are attracted. I think the reason so many of us, and it's understandable to me on a very human level, why so many of us are attracted to people who project that kind of confidence, certainty is, is precisely to my limited understanding, because most of us, uh, I don't know what I feel like, is anytime anybody projects that kind of, there's a part of me, anytime anybody projects something like that, there's a part of me that's like, oh my God, they've got, they totally have their shit together. I, I'm like constantly turning yeah. all of this stuff over and it's taken a lot of retraining and it's still not ironclad to not, to just sort of be like, well, that's the most charitable thing I can say is like, well, that's the journey that that person's on. And I, I don't relate to that, but maybe they authentically feel that. And great. I, I don't think I get everything wrong, Yeah. but I certainly don't think I get everything right either. And I also think that shame is such an enormous block to growth spiritually, personally, societally. And if I can sort of figure out ways or, or whether it's figuring out, letting go, being dragged, whatever terminology you want to use to like put some distance between myself and shame. Now that does not mean leapfrogging accountability mm. for your actions. Like I feel like I, I, there's a thing I'm really sensitive to, which is when people do this and I, and, and I'm a person, but when people do this thing, that's like, almost like I said, I was sorry. Mm. Like, that's not what I'm talking about either. Sometimes like 
I'm sorry is nice, but an actual living amends is like, hey, I, f I fucked up and you can't undo that. Yeah. But how do I do better moving forward? I'm sorry has a place, but I'm sorry. And then sort of like when somebody's like, yeah, you know, actually that really hurt me. And you're like, well, no, I'm sorry <laughs> that leads to defensiveness kind of means you're not really living in the thing. Um, and for me, yeah, and so I think hard. that's that there, there's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot, it's funny because exactly what you said is the space I think about so often to me, like the strongest thing is vulnerability, yeah. not performative vulnerability, yeah. not, but, but the vulnerability to be able to say like, Hey, I need to, I have to be accountable and I have to try to do better. Uh, because we're live, we live in a moment where everybody's supposed to, uh, and especially with what's happening right now, not to get too in the weeds with this, not just politically, but with the actual, with the, with the, with, with coronavirus, you know, one of the things that's such a strain, everything is a strain, but one of one like psychic thing that's a strain right now is that it's like, we are not amateur virologists, public <laughs> health experts, uh, 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 elected, you know, uh, yeah. elected officials, heads of state. We are not, and, and with with parents, it's like, yeah, it takes a village, and we're the primary villagers. But I am not a, an educator, a daycare practitioner, the pub, the city parks department, uh, a restaurateur, a four-year-old kid that my daughter can hang out with. I'm yeah. me, <laughs> and you're trying to do. That's something you got to show up for. The other stuff, the whole thing, like socially mediated conversation in existence and this cult of certainty on either side you talk about atheism and evangelism it's also like radical right radical left at yeah. some point i know which one i intellectually philosophically find more commonality with but still sometimes when i'm over here i'm like guys guys yeah. guys yep. what are we saying right now like slow down it's uh it's really powerful to me I had a conversation with a friend recently and we were talking about, I've been going, there was some stuff moving around and I was talking about some stuff and I was at the end of a whole long thing. I said, he just went, yeah, man, I don't know. And I thanked <laughs> him for that because it was the best thing he could have said. He didn't have, he wasn't yeah. going to give me advice. He didn't have requisite life experience. He didn't know somebody who did. So what he said was like, Thanks for sharing that with me. I don't really know what to say, but I'm here if you want to talk. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know is a powerful thing. Because mm, I thought I thought I had to know. I don't have to know. You don't. Yeah. Ha you know what I mean? Like, it would be really nice to hear some of these people sometimes be like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm not equipped to talk about that. Yeah. But, and I, I think that's what I was trying to get at is when I'm saying there's two ways. There's two ways to, like, I guess have people's respect and they're they're both kind of proven like the whole like people flocking towards overconfidence is like it's a a real psychological phenomenon yeah. that is studied is studied and like it it's real it works right like it it will draw people yes towards you it will whatever um but you can see, looking at it from the outside, like it's not good for you. It's not good for the system you're in. It's not good for the people under you. It's not good for the people around you. Like it's, it's not it, the only thing it does. It's 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 like a shell of 
of something good and, and powerful, you know, but it, but it sadly well, it works. It's almost like a uh, equivalent of, you know, junk food or something or yes. Like well, what you said about it being brittle and hollow, it does work, but what does working mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Okay. It works in the sense that what it's attractive to what end and for how long and to what depth, like, mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that are attractive that are not like substantive. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so uh, to me, it's like one is, and also uh, just talking about reality adherent, I think I kind of got lost in the weeds before, but I think that what is attractive about it is that we actually kind of somewhere cellularly innately know it's not real. And mm. so it's kind of attractive to be like, oh, wow, that person figured out the thing I can't figure out. Yeah. But the truth is, like, they didn't figure it out. They figured out a super... Um, it's like a cheat. It's a, it's a fucking coping mechanism. Yeah. It's a cheat and it's a coping mechanism. And at some point, I really believe this, and I don't mean this in a punitive way. I don't wish this on people. Everyone... What's the Bob Dylan line? It's someday, uh, even the president of the United States sometimes has to stand naked or something like that. Like at some <laughs> point, everybody has their come to Jesus moment. They're reckoning with like the spiritual rot. Mm. And I believe that this man will too. Uh, I, I believe that all kinds, I think that every, I don't think anybody escapes it completely. There's like a Charles Bukowski poem on his deathbed after that whole life of being Charles Bukowski, where I think it's just like, <laughs> I think it's literally like, oh God, I was wrong. I was wrong. Or something like that. There's some like really, I remember reading that and being like, maybe I always, you know, when I was especially 20, I liked that. I liked those books, Ham on Rye and Post mm -hmm. Office and play the piano drunk like a percussion instrument till your fingers bleed or whatever it was called. But I also was kind of like, man, what a goddamn like life sentence it would be to be that man to mm -hmm. have to, to think you have to live that way uh and then at some point to have heard that he was like he had his moment of reckoning i was like oh it kind of made me like him more because <laughs> hmm. because i believe i i really do believe that i i think that there it is attractive and it does work but i think we all have our, our different definitions of what those words mean and i don't think it really 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 capital w works you know what i mean <laughs> by that yeah, that's good Hey everyone, if you're already supporting the show through Patreon, thank you so very much. If you aren't yet, I wanted to let you know that you can now become a patron and support the show for as little as $5 a month. Becoming a patron can provide you with a variety of perks, including access to additional content like song lyric breakdown episodes, Q&A episodes where you can submit questions for me to answer, additional conversation episodes that won't show up in the public feed, and access to our Discord board where we're building community and engaging in deeper conversations around the show. Here's a sneak peek at some additional patron-only content. The Long Defeat is this idea that Tolkien talks about in a couple different places. This is my, you know, rehashing of it or reinterpretation. Because uh, I can't remember exactly what he says. But the idea is that even when things seem hopeless, like in the end it's all going to go to crap and 
fall apart and you know good will lose and evil will triumph or something like even when that seems totally uh, like a foregone conclusion uh it's still worth fighting that long defeat so fighting the good fight even when victory doesn't seem to be possible so i think there's two good things about that one is it's hard to tell what good you do now is going to affect anything in the future uh but it does and there's actually gonna be a new song i'm writing that kind of pulls out that train of thought a little bit you're digging this podcast and want to join me and others like you in our pursuit of the good, the true, and the beautiful, then joining us on Patreon is the best way to do it. Sign up today at patreon.com forward slash carry the fire pod. All right, let's get back to the show. I don't want to take too much of your time, but I, I got a couple more if you, you can. I do. It. Okay. One was from a patron. Uh, Marshall's asking, over the years, you've worked with so many talented musicians. What have you learned about working collaborative, collaboratively that way? Um, yeah. just. I think that as a person who, like, I've had, I have the goddamn band, and that's been this, like, very fluid, I feel like maybe at this point that's had, like, 25 members in it since really? 2003. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's been so many iterations of that thing. Three or four drummers. Yeah, there's been a lot. A lot of people that have come in and out of that. And that was kind of by design. I was coming out of a band and I sort of wanted to have something that was looser and mm -hmm. could be more like... And also it was because uh, there were also practical reasons. Our thing never made enough money to be like, I can put you five people on retainer for five years. You know, yeah. it was sort of just not... So we had to be creative with it. But like, uh, I think that as a relative single cell, it afforded me the opportunity to do things like have that project move around not only in with respect to personnel but with respect to like whatever sound i wanted it to have record to record the songs are always in the middle but some records it's a little burlier some records it's a little spare some records a bit more you know spiky punky some records a bit more chamber folky thing whatever like it gets to and sometimes it's just me and so mm -hmm. it gets to move around but then when as a person and not a band i got to do things like um you know, the bad books thing with Andy or like there's ones less people know about where I like was the touring guitarist for a piano playing singer songwriter named Rachel Yamagata for two years where I was like opening shows for her and then playing in her band. I did that with brand new for, for a while. I, and then to have like, we, you know, to do the bad books thing, to have different collaborators on different records where I think one of the records I made with Schnaff, the band was this band Everest from LA. They played, they were like, never played a show with them, but they mm -hmm. were the band on the record, you know? Um, and then Jesse, we produced a record together of mine called Bubblegum, got to have him in the studio in like a different capacity than like singer in a very mm -hmm. successful band, but guy who's got like a song brain who was like, try this, try that, you know? What have I learned is that like there's so many people that are good at so many things that I'm not good at and thank God for that. And I've also learned how to like get, I think by osmosis, I've gotten a little, like I think Rob Schnaff has taught me more about guitar chord, chord voicings 
than any number of like, and not in a like sit down and I'm going to teach you this, but in a like, well, what if you played the uh, C minor somewhere else? Mm -hmm. uh, okay, well, this is all the ways I know how to play that. Well, sit there for a minute and come up with something. You know what? I, like yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, singing with Andy made me a better singer. More, more, I have to like, like a better harmonist, a better, um, I think that there's a thing with Jesse where there was a part of him where Matthew from Not A Surf is another one of these people where they would like, I would curse because those guys could shake their head and like a perfectly formed candy melody just falls out of their <laughs> ear. What if you try that? I'm, like, I'm, talk I'm talking, I'm talking to him on Friday. He's like one of my very favorites. Oh, Matthew? Yeah. Lovely man. Have you ever met him? I met him briefly in San Diego. We were going to do a podcast when he came through, but like timing-wise it wasn't working, but I met him after the show for a second. Oh, but, uh, that's great. That'll be you guys will get along. He's he's a very that's a very gentle. That's a true believer right there. Very gentle <laughs> man. Um but yeah, I feel like I, I and I feel and all this like I feel like I've been able to tour with so many great bands meet so many good people and 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 as a single cell also get to like jump in people's buses and vans and like mm -hmm. go on tour that way where i'm like kind of me without you i was like embedded in their bus for six weeks where it was like so open and solo and living the me without you life <laughs> for six weeks which was beautiful you know and yeah. that's the thing i feel very fortunate to have been able to do too is like get to be when I'm uh, often in those experiences, I'm like, I get to be like an embedded journalist or something like in with the people, which has been really cool. And uh, yeah, I've gotten to learn. What have I learned is like kind of almost feels like anything I know Yeah, <laughs> was like largely from, from all of those people. So, uh, follow up to that. Two people, two patrons separately, Ryan and Thomas said, when is there going to be a Kevin Devine, Dustin Kensrue split? seven inch or collaboration so that, i mean that's it's that's, really that's, weird that's, to put you on the spot like that but i think we we would actually have fun doing that oh i don't think that <laughs> i think that would be easy to make happen and very fruitful so the answer is whenever you want plus our initials make uh, a uh a dkkd yeah it's a what Do is all that sorts thing of stuff called? it's a I, my brain's blanking right now uh, an infinity spiral <laughs> That's it. That's it. No. Uh, what no, is the yeah, freaking word? I would love that. A, a not an ambigram. And not a no, 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 no. It's called a. Uh, uh, no, it's not even anything like that. No, it's not an. an oh, and and a, it's and like, a cryptic and a and a and a. And a, and a, a no. <laughs> like you know race race car, race car. Uh, taco cat. Yes. All those things. Yes. 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 It's escaping my brain. Palindrome. We'll after. Yes. See, I had, to, I had to stop thinking about it. I gave up and it came. That can be anyway. what it's called. It can be called we, palindrome. We can be a palindrome. Sorry, I was just being a dork asking that, but I, that would be fun. No, I would, I would, that, that's, that's, that would be great and easy. All right. I was going to ask you about, kind of about like the power of specificity in lyrics, but also about as you use specificity, like how much you're pulling from real life. Um, it makes me think of, uh, are you, I would imagine you're a jawbreaker, just a Brazil fan. You know what? Are you not? Not, not Holy that I am shit. not. 
I am not like an adhe like a uh, a deep in the roots adherent. Mm. If I like when I hear it, I'm always like, I've heard it a lot. Yeah. And when I hear it, I'm always like, this is cool. And some of it, I'm like, this is great. But I never. And I think generally he's great. But I don't know why it was never like of the, of those bands at at the times when those bands were things. I think I was like like when Jets to Brazil was around. I was like if that was that was a Jade Tree band, right? Jets to Brazil. Yeah. I was like Pedro and Promise Ring. And I don't yeah. know what that doesn't mean that I wasn't. I I, I had friends that were like no 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 this. No, it's funny how there's just stuff like, that passes you by that everyone's like you you would like this and you're like I don't not like it. I just there's it's so never grabbing you. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. But I think I, I know the value of his yeah. thing. And yeah, there's, there's some of that Jawbreaker stuff in particular is like really stellar. Anyway, me, he's so good. But he wrote this line on a Jets song. And it's basically like the song is about he keeps calling the, the person he's talking to kid, basically like a fan of his music who's asking him like, did all those things really happen to you? Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he's basically saying, no, like, it's like, he's like, you write the lie you'd like to be when your life feels like a book you wouldn't read. Um, mm, mm. So, so, but it's, he's so, really but he's so good at making it feel like real. Like you're like, there's yeah, no way that yeah. didn't really happen. But I mean, that's what people do writing novels every day or, you know, but I, uh, there, there's a, there's a way that he does it in uh, songwriting. And mm -hmm. I was, so now I'm going to ask you in, you know, I love the song cause I've covered it, but, um, in Mesa, Arizona, how mm -hmm. much of, of that song is just made up? How much of it's like based on some real experience of yeah driving with a buddy? I think, I mean, I think that song is like, uh, what's the best way to just to say this? So some songs are like pretty literal with, I feel like some, you're, again, I'm not super interested either as a fan or as a person making music in like mega diaristic writing, unless mm -hmm. it's really, really, really compelling. And there are some examples. I, 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 I hope there are some in my own writing, but yeah. there are certainly some in other people's writing where I'm like, I, I don't mind that they were like really giving you the straight shot because the way they delivered it was really, yeah. but I tend to also want to there to be some poetry to it, yeah. some magic to it. Um, that's a song that is pretty loosely about a, com and a lot of the songs for me are like composites. Yeah. They're like, and you know, for example, if there's a song that's maybe romantic sounding or, or about relationships, sometimes it's, specific sometimes mm -hmm. it's kind of a composite of a lot of different things and sometimes it's that what is what if the the journalist mm -hmm. the dream kind of line that song is pretty like uh taking trippy liberties with some more mundane yeah. that 800 mile it's not an ellis special but it's every touring band i suppose that like phoenix yeah. to the the, the triptych in uh Texas. Yeah. So that drive on the day off, you do that enough times and you do it with enough people and you just gather some, <laughs> some stuff. And I think, um, that was a song I wrote. I remember I wrote that song on Christmas Eve, 2009. 
And I wrote it like as we were wrapping presents to go to my sister's house for Christmas Eve, like before we left Brooklyn. And then I went to Atlanta the first week of January 2010 and we made what became the first Bad Books record. Mm. And I knew we were going to do that. And I kind of wrote that song thinking about the first time Andy and I ever did that drive together. Mm -hmm. And like taking some liberties, geographic liberties, yeah. and some like, also some like, um, I, I, was, I was mostly sober by the time I met Andy, and on the first tour we ever did together, I had a little break from that. Uh, and, and it was, it was a, a pot and booze break. It wasn't like a deep, deep break, but I, I well, <laughs> that depends. I suppose you could get deep with those things too. It was a break, and some of some of the like language that's a bit more like uh, imagistic in that song is meant to be kind of playing with mm -hmm. the reality of what happened, but also some of the like spacier yeah. components. Um, and also there's something about that part of the country. Maybe this is like a good button to like everything we started talking about. To me, that's the part of the country where I imagine like I can see the dinosaurs walking around mm -hmm. or you're in New Mexico and you can kind of picture there's some, otherworldly uh, you grew up in southern california did yeah. i make that up so that's always fascinating to me because i'm a born and raised new yorker mm. and still 16 years and who knows if we'll ever tour again but 16 years into touring i get there and i'm like oh my god this is such a crazy like the landscape the yeah desert, there's something magical the, about it yeah it's magical and the hills are kind of, I keep, I keep like waiting for a brontosaurus to like peek over and like eat a tree, you know? <laughs> and so I think that some of that part of the country and that drive and, and you know, you, no matter when you leave, it's always at some point you're like, we have six hours left in this drive. How is that possible? We've been in the car for <laughs> 16 hours or something. Um, and then all of the stuff. And, and to me, those drives are also, and you're a touring person, those drives, what one of the best things about them is at some point, everybody, there, at least two of you get into one of these. Yeah. Okay, when just, everyone else is so, sleeping. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. And you know, no matter how many podcasts we have, no matter how many, that has not changed still to at this point. There's still in 2019 was the last time I did that drive. There was one of those conversations with somebody at some point because you're just like, I need to talk to someone, put your phone away and go sit. So that was also kind of playing a little bit with like that part of it too. The like buddy, the, the, the gelling thing that mm -hmm. happens in those moments too. But so some real life stuff with this fairly liberal sprinkling of yeah. uh, exaggeration. What made you start writing it on uh, Christmas Eve? I literally was walking across. I don't know how it works for you. Sometimes how it works for me is like a couplet arrives. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and the first thing that happens, and this might connect to like, who the fuck do you think you are thing. This is wild that this is true. I try to talk myself out of writing every song I ever write. The couplet <laughs> comes, and the first thing I think is like, that sucks. Yeah. And then there's a second voice often that's like, well, why don't you just find out what it is? And that voice came from other people. Mm. I've, I had people at, at points that were like, dude, just write the song. What are you talking about? 
fine, we'll tell you if it sucks, just finish the song. Um, that song I was walking across, I remember this for some reason, I was walking across 9th Street and 5th Avenue in Park Slope buying wrapping paper and the first two lines of the song came. And I was like, oh, I should probably just go home and take like an hour and see. And I don't know if I finished the song, yeah, but the but guts got, of yeah. the song were, were there. Um, and I, I, that was, that was just a moment of like the guy that talked, that tried to talk me out of it got, he lost. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the only reason why it started that day. There was no like in honor of it being, Christmas Eve. Let me sit down and write this song yeah, no, today no. or something. I yeah, just, just, I, I just was more curious what the spark was. Um, yeah, literally, just sometimes they just show up out of nowhere, and you're like, "Oh, that's a thing." Was it uh, with melody or just the the words? Yeah, no. The first two lines. It was the. And I was like, "Oh, that's kind of nice." You know, when you do that, and you're like, "Oh, that's something." Yeah. And then it takes me a second to be like, oh, no, no, that's like you're writing it. <laughs> it's always that's hard to tell, though. something. Yeah. It's that's always going like, to be close to something, but. It always is close to something. But I was, I think that was one where I, you start and you're like, that might sound to people that don't write songs like bullshit. I don't know. I feel like that happens often where I'm like, start a thing and I'm like, oh, that's some other song. And it takes me like two to five minutes to be like. No, no, no! You're making up a song. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that was one of those. The, the melody and the lyric came, not the whole song. Yeah. Then you're like, oh, okay. What do we want to do to go to the B section? What do we want to, you know, how do I want to build it? But that the first two, the first that is a song where the first two lines, lyric and melody came at the same time. Awesome. All right, I'm gonna let you go, man. But it was a delight spending Total some pleasure. time with you. I'll, I'll hit you up about... Uh... Keep the line open. I'm here. All right, man. We'll be safe. All right. And, uh... You too. I'll see you later. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Cheers, See buddy. you, Dustin. If you have a moment today, it would help a ton if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend. Uh, be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CarryTheFirePod. I want to thank my producer, Andy Lara, and all of our executive producers, Adam Collins, Amy Armstrong, Andrew Diaz, Brianna Webb, Brian Weisbecker, Cameron Lane, Colin Hawthorne, Denise Sugita, David Cobb, Drew Perra, Eric Gonzalez, Gabe Muniz, Gary Jilke, Hamsa Babahani, Jeremy Robinson, Jess Card, John Buchan, John Diego, John Engel, Jonathan Clark, Jordan Goodman, Jordan Everly, Joshua Malara, Kyle Starr, Luca Leva, Luis Rivera, Luis Enriquez, Marco Padilla, Mark Francis, Mark Weiss, Matt Fuchs, Matthew Alcon, Michael Maitland, Miguel Pinabroa, Nathaniel Bailey, Ron Alberca, Ryan Cornelius, Samantha Simmons, Sean Widemeyer, Stephen Saucier, Susanna Coleman, Ted Reiser, Tiffany Payne, Timothy Dewine, and William Galdemez. Thank you all so much for carrying the fire with me, and I'll see you next time.